Last year, during Pastor Gary's sabbatical, I was again, or at that time, honored to give a talk, and that talk was about heaven. I described the wonders of heaven as told in the Bible. I explained that once you ask Jesus into your life and follow him, you are instantly immortal. You will never die. Your body may cease to function for a time, but when that happens, your spirit will immediately go to Jesus in heaven. Your spirit will live there until the day Jesus comes back to vanquish Satan. Then a new era begins. There will be a new heaven and new earth. All the spirits that are already in heaven will at that time receive new physical bodies and we will all live with the Father and the Son. Very comforting for us. Today, I want to talk about the people who aren't going to heaven. First, let's make sure that we understand who is and who isn't going to heaven. In Matthew 7, Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. So what is the will of the Father? That we humans are sanctified, which means set apart to be free from sin. Of course, we know that as hard as we try not to sin, we will never be able to stop. But when we know Jesus and are born again through the Holy Spirit, we understand that Jesus dying on the cross took our sin away. So when God looks at us, he sees us through Jesus, sinless, holy, sanctified. But what about the people who don't believe in Jesus and reject God? Most atheists believe that when they die, there's nothing more. They cease to exist in both body and spirit. They will return to the nothingness they were before they were born. This rather depressing way to look at life is actually comforting to some. If there's nothing after death, you aren't accountable for anything that you've done in this life. Communist torturers have been quoted as saying, there is no God, no hereafter, no punishment for evil. We can do as we wish. Also, if there's nothing after death, there's no one going to judge you. You are off the hook. However, not all atheists find this concept comforting. In 2004, a study was published in the American Journal of Psychiatry that stated subjects who were not religious were more likely to commit suicide or attempt to commit suicide than subjects who had a religious affiliation. These people stated that they found less reasons to live 
and felt that there was nothing morally wrong with suicide. I also read an article published in the Huffington Post by a man named Stax Roche, who is an atheist. In the article, he was explaining that while it's true atheists commit more suicides, it is because the religious people don't treat them right. He says we ostracize and bully them. The fact that they have no hope in life after death is not the problem. The problem is us. Even though I don't agree with much that Rosh said in his article, I thought maybe there is a takeaway from it. Even though we don't agree with their beliefs or their lack of beliefs, we should treat atheists in the best way possible with the love of Jesus in our hearts. As believers in God's holy word, we know, we absolutely know there is God and there is heaven. And if you believe heaven is real, you must also believe hell is real. Jesus made statements about hell. In the Sermon on the Mount, he said, if your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. In that same sermon, Jesus also said, enter through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and the gate is wide for the many, for many choose that way. But the gate to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few will ever find it. When Jesus says the gate to life is narrow, it's because the only way through that gate is through him. You can't earn your way through the gate. It's a gift and you just must accept it. Biblically, hell is a real place. Hell is often associated with heat, fire, the lake of fire, a scary place with eternal torture. I don't know exactly what goes on in hell, but theologian Alan Gomes describes hell this way. This suffering will take place from the inside out, as it were. It will not arise from God boiling sinners in a cauldron or turning them on a rotisserie spit. Rather, they will suffer the natural consequences of rejecting God and his goodness toward them. They will experience the pain of complete abandonment, remorse unmingled with comfort, and relentless torments of their own consciences which will burn forever but never consume. This cup they will drink to the full, experiencing unmitigated pain in both body and spirit. So what Gomes is saying is the pain that people will experience in hell will come from within them. The pain of living in complete abandonment, without hope, without rest, without comfort, 
and without the possibility of escaping. Ultimately, heaven is God's home where he wants to live with us for eternity. Hell is living without God. Another movement is universalism. The premise of universalism is that you can believe anything you want, and in the end, a good and loving God would never send anyone into eternal hell. In the last minutes of their life, God will forgive them and they will go to heaven. Universalists prove their point using such Bible verses as Titus chapter 2, verse 11, which says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. And 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any, that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And yes, God wishes all people to repent. He does not want anyone to go to eternal destruction. But if, as universalists state, he will accept and forgive everyone in the end, even if they don't believe, isn't that taking away the free will he gave us? He gave us free will for a reason. That everyone comes to him through Jesus because we love him. Why would God give us free will in the first place if he's just going to take it away in the end and make everyone come to him? So when people say a loving God wouldn't send people to hell, they are correct. God does not send anyone to hell. It is their own choice. If someone chooses to reject God, they're choosing hell. And this is why, as believers, it is so important that we spread the gospel. Jesus is our escape route from hell. And here's the story we should be telling the world. God loves people so much that he sent Jesus to earth to teach us about himself, and then Jesus had to die on the cross to take away our sin, and after three days, he was resurrected and ascended to heaven. And there's a lot of information in the Bible about heaven. It is beautiful beyond comprehension. Hebrews 12 says it's a city built for worship. Chapter 21 of Revelation describes the new heaven and earth. It says heaven will be filled with peace, joy, and praise. We will see the Ark of the Covenant. Gemstones will adorn heaven with pearl gates and streets of gold. And there will be no sun or moon as God is the light in heaven. <clears throat> in Revelation, the Apostle John said, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. 
and death shall be no more. Neither will there be mourning or crying nor pain for the former things have passed away. Now I understand that I'm preaching to the choir here. I believe that most of us sitting here today understand who Jesus is and accept God's gift of grace and one day we will all be together in heaven and in the new earth when that comes. But my point today is that not everyone believes. That people who aren't believers are not just going to stop existing when they die. They are going to live forever apart from God. In Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, Jesus gives us the Great Commission. He says, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. <clears throat> Go and make disciples. This is not a request. It is a command. And I know that for some people, me too, it's easier to do this than it is for others. I'm on the other end. It's not easy for me to do that. But I thought about three ways that can help people come to the knowledge of Christ, or at least start the conversation. Number one, ask them what they believe. Asking someone what they believe is a great way to open the conversation. When they're finished, then you can say, well, I would like to tell you what I believe, and very gently explain God's truth. It won't help to tell them they're wrong or argue with them, all we can do is plant the seed of faith, and God will do the rest. There are many times I have tried to plant seeds of faith, and, and I feel like I failed miserably. Once I was talking to a young couple who are not believers, but we were discussing church and God and just different things about faithfulness, and somehow we got on the subject of tithing. And I explain that it says in the Bible that you should give the first 10% of your income to God. Wow, I totally offended them. Tithing is not the first subject that you should broach when talking about religion. Several times since then, I've tried bringing up Jesus and faith to someone I knew wasn't a believer but I always feel like I'm just never using the right words. Recently, I was at a local establishment and ran into a person that I knew quite well in my past. So I knew a little bit about where his faith walk was. We were sitting there catching up on each other's lives and I said that since I retired, I spent a lot of time here at Grace doing lots of different things, and how much I enjoyed it. And he said to me, you know, I'm not much about that church thing. 
And I'm praying in my head, asking God, how do I open this conversation? And then it came to me. I said to him, God loves you. His response was, God doesn't love me. I have done too many bad things. And I said, that's not true. God loves you just as you are. But he does want you to come to him. And there was a flicker in his eyes, like he was thinking, really? And that was the end of our conversation. I kept it very simple, and I gave him the most basic thing I could say. And I don't know if anything will come of that, but God can take it from there. All I know is it felt so good as I went home that I thought I finally said the right thing. I pray for this person often, and we'll see what happens. But in all you do, bring glory to God. Number two, show people the love of God by the way you live. One of our scripture readings today came from Galatians chapter 5 and spoke of the fruits of the Holy Spirit, which are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. When you think about all of those ways to live, how much better can we be? I mean, those are just all the perfect things to live by. And if you live by that, people will look at you differently. They will see that you are set apart from the rest of the world, and they're going to wonder what makes that so. Be the hands and feet of Jesus and bring glory to God. And the third thing is to pray. Pray first, pray last, pray always. Pray for people you know are not Christians. Ask God how you can plant the seed of faith in someone, whether it's someone you know or someone you saw on the street. God always answers prayer, but it will be in his timing, not yours. Bring glory to God. I don't want to leave you with scary thoughts of hell. I just want to remind everyone that there are serious consequences to rejecting God. And we should be trying to get people to accept his great love that is waiting for everyone. Sometimes it overwhelms me when I think about how much God loves me. And I hope you all feel that way too. Amen.